And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Tamp, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, national NBA writer at The Athletic, host of the Tampering Pod, here with my co-host, my guys, Anthony Slater, West Coast, Fred Katz, East Coast. Gentlemen, uh, we are going to dive in right away this week because it is, uh, you know, with an assist from Mr. Katz, stating the obvious as we plan this week's pod, uh, it is time to to absolutely you know go in on trade deadline season. February 9th coming around the corner. We are recording, obviously on January 23rd, uh, just a couple weeks away, and uh, it is that time of year where uh, you know we are not only enjoying the games and and the fact that the standings are getting a little more cemented as far as who's real and who's not. And, and this is where I you know honestly is one of my favorite times of year, even from a human component front office executives and the constant analysis they have to do right now about their teams, uh, what they believe in terms of what they're seeing, what they don't believe, what it means. Um, you know, they got to get in the weeds with their rosters and figure out who stays, who goes, what am I willing to, to give up if I want to improve or, uh, more importantly for the purposes of today's pod, you know, do, do I want to become a seller? Uh, we're going to try to hone in on who we think the sellers are, and, uh, and kind of analyze the fact that this trade deadline season, I think more than most, is going to be one that is going to go down to the wire because there's a ton of parity in the league right now. Gentlemen, what is going on? How are we? I'm lovely. I'm just wonderful. I'm better than the New York Knicks who are constantly either on a really long or losing streak or winning streak. So right now it's the losing streak. So I'm I'm better than them. Better than the Knicks is is Katz's uh, very low bar. Uh, no offense to this. That's season's what happens Knicks. when you cover the yeah. Knicks. Fair That's enough. That's what happens when you cover the Knicks. You said the bar. The bar just continues to to just the bar is volatile when you cover the Knicks. <laughs> the bar is always volatile. Bars of all kinds are volatile. Slater, what's up, sir? Knicks are seventh. I'm looking at the standings now. I mean, that's. Before the season, yeah, but they've lost. They've lost four in a row. Quickly's hurt. Mitchell Robinson has a broken finger and is out at least three weeks. Like the defense isn't working without Mitch. Like things are, things are. Uh, they, they've been weird all year. Well, they you know, they the trend cannot is beat the Raptors. Not doing great. Right? 
They just can't beat the Raptors. Yeah, they can't beat the Raptors. They can't beat the Raptors. Yeah, I mean they did beat the Raptors once, but it doesn't feel like they beat the Raptors once. Well, Raptors Fred, match unless well against them. Unless this is your attempt to announce on the tampering pod that the Knicks are becoming sellers because of this little stretch, which I don't think that is the case as you shake your head in a negative fashion. Um, let's dive in on on that front and center question of who the sellers are. Uh, but you were the one, you know, rightfully kind of pushing this topic this week. So I'm going to pass the mic over to you a little bit. How do you want to frame this thing? Because, you know, we've got a lot of teams that, that have, like I said, a lot of questions to answer and a lot of potential sellers. But but how are you seeing things right now? Cool. So the reason I thought of kind of going through who sellers are and then who the ones who could be on the fence, who could become either sellers or buyers or just stand pat is because, you know, you're working on stuff leading up to the trade deadline, trade deadline previews, guys who might be available, guys specifically for me who might be good for the Knicks or the Knicks might be interested in. You make calls around the league. And the thing that I keep hearing over and over and over again with two and a half weeks to go until the deadline is things are really quiet right now, like quieter than usual two and a half weeks out from the deadline. And I don't think that means that they're going to be quiet a week from now or a week and a half from now when you have one week to go until the deadline, Uh, because some teams who are saying that they're not going to be sellers, someone will eventually flip and become a seller. Uh, And the reason why it's quiet is because in part because of the play-in tournament, because there are teams kind of within reach of 10 and they want to get to 10 or within reach of six and they want to get to six and so on and so forth. Uh, and, And because of that, you just have a lot of teams that want to upgrade and not a lot of teams that want to downgrade, which is how you kind of just get, there's not, there's a lot of mismatching of priorities and that's how you get that way. So I was looking through it. I'm like, okay, we know for sure that four teams are sellers. We know Detroit is a seller. Just because they're a seller, either way, doesn't mean they are definitely going to make a trade that is a sell. But in terms of their approach to the deadline, we know Detroit is a seller. We know Charlotte is a seller. We know Orlando is a seller. We know Houston is a seller. We think the Spurs are a seller. They should be a seller based on their record. But what you keep hearing about the the one guy... They are in the cellar. That is a good point. And 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 the Hornets are in the Zeller. But the thing that we keep hearing, the thing we keep hearing about the Spurs is that like they're one guy who is a recurring character on this on this podcast, Jakob Pertle, that like they're okay trying to resign him this summer. They really like Jakob Pertle. And the rest of their guys are kind of just like young rotation guys. You know, maybe Josh Richardson gets traded. Uh, so I'm willing to put the Spurs they in the cellar. I think, I think they're in the definite seller category. Now the Pirtle. Okay. You cool. know, the that's Pirtle, fine. I was trying to uh, get clever. Yeah. I think they're more like in the seller category than like even Orlando. I mean, Orlando's got a lot of young guys that they're not, you know, it's tough to, you know, Terrence Ross, I guess. Um, you know, what's funny to me though, it's like, remember uh, when Wembanyana and Scoot Henderson played, played in Vegas and like w- after one game, everyone was like, Everyone's tanking. Everyone's selling. Trade season's going to be next week because of this obsession. Like, no, no, you still have pretty much every like mid to lower tier team. Like, oh, we'd really love to get 10th. So it's just that never happened. That's all I want to say. 
part of that as a quick aside, I think, is is over the years covering the league, I've learned a lot about the the power of of mediocrity from the business standpoint. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the one thing the fans, you know, don't want to hear it because they want to be title or bust. And if you're not a true contender, then strip it down and start rebuilding no matter what the standings look like. And that's not the way typically the business side of organizations sees it. If you know, if you the Lakers, just to highlight them as a as an example, in these recent years when they missed the playoffs, you know, in the type of, type of fashion they're not used to, you know, the the reality that they weren't even getting first round revenue was an absolute game changer for them in terms of the business side. A lot of times for teams, you know, a first round playoff series can be, you know, essentially like a 50-50 or like, a, I'm sorry, like a break even type of moment, um, which is why I think a lot of times you see this this push to uh, to stay alive in the middle. Yeah, look at the... 10, 12, 13 seed currently, as, as I'm just looking at the standings in the West. Obviously, it changes every day. They're, they're playing games tonight. By Tuesday morning, it might have completely shifted. But right now, that's the Warriors at 10, the Lakers at 12, the Blazers are 13. We know the priorities of those teams. You know, I mean, all, Warriors still believe they're contenders. Lakers are, you know, completely sell mode. That's the 12th seed in the West is is in sell mode. Maybe. I mean, I guess we can discuss that. They're certainly not. I shouldn't say sell mode. I meant buy mode. Um, yeah, I was confused there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're definitely not in, in sell mode. And then even Portland, right? Like, this is a urgent Damian Lillard type situation for them. I mean, maybe, Sam, you have intel that that's, disputes that, but, like, they're not a seller. No, I mean, I'm sure you guys saw his press conference post game last night, you know, where he was, I thought, you know, kind of unjustly chippy with our Jason Quick, uh, Blazers beat writer, who asked about Damien's perspective on the trade deadline, and, and Dame got pretty defensive, talking about the idea that that he it's a little bit like my chat with LeBron a few weeks ago, like, oh, I don't control the roster, I don't, it's not my job, um, but as Jason kind of countered to him, this whole organization works on your timeline, and and so they're planning kind of all that is that's kind of the, the moon that that you know they revolve around so no portland for sure i think is is still trying to win so the washington wizards of the west yeah no that's a good way of putting it well I, do you want to start there fred especially since it's kind of your past life um the the wizards situation is is an you know in terms of high profile players who could be on the move Kyle kuzma is on the short list and he's a guy that to his credit, you know, he's just gotten better and better and better. He's he's flourished in Washington, you know, kind of outside the scope of LeBron and AD and his Lakers experience, uh, going to be a free agent this summer, and now finds himself, um, I think, with a, a pretty significant amount of, of, of interest around the league. Um, how do you guys see the, the Kuzma factor? Yeah, so, you I mean, you say it's funny, you say it's a past life. I still just report on the Wizards just for my personal self. I just make calls just so I can find out what's happening. I was talking to Ava Wallace, who covers the Wizards for the Washington Post uh, a couple of days ago and is a good buddy of mine. And Ava told me, she was like, can you stop reporting on my beat for your own personal entertainment? I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, I've hit up two people for news this week. And they were like, yeah, I was just telling Fred about this. I don't see you reporting on it. Yeah. So, so I am, I am still qualified to answer this stuff. So, Everyone around the league, I shouldn't say everyone around the league, but people around the league are kind of waiting for them to pull the trigger on trading Kyle Kuzma, who's expiring and is extension eligible, but there's no way he's signing an extension because CBA rules say that he can only sign it for 
a certain amount based on how much money he makes this year. And it's way less than he would make on the open market this summer when he's unrestricted. So there's no way he's signing the extension. The Wizards, though, have signaled to everybody who would listen that they don't want to trade him. Now, it's it's possible that they're just doing that to create trade leverage, and eventually they will pull the trigger. But the vibes that I'm getting, and this is my informed opinion, I wasn't explicitly told this, but but I I, I was covering the Wizards in the, in the winter of 2019 when they had Davis Bertans on an expiring deal. And everybody thought they were going to trade Bertans. They were heading towards a 50-loss season. Everybody thought they were going to trade, or close to a 50-loss season. Everybody thought they were going to trade Bertans, who was expiring, was going to be unrestricted, and was having by far the best year of his career. And they were telling everybody, no, 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 we're not, we're not trading him. We want to re-sign him. And they didn't trade him. They held on to him. Uh, they had an offer of a first round pick. I don't know what the protections were on the first round pick, but that's a legit offer for a shooter. They end up re-signing him to a five-year, $80 million deal that summer. It remains one of the and worst me, deals in the league, right? <laughs> like currently. But they were at least able to flip it for Porzingis, who's been great this year. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that's a horrible piece of business, but I guess he was in the Porzingis deal. Yeah, exactly. But my point is not that, that the Berton situation in isolation was handled wonderfully. My my point is that I get similar vibes about Kuzma. The stuff that they are telling teams about Kuzma right now when they call is basically exactly the same as the stuff they were saying about Bertans. So I I I lean towards this is not a negotiation tactic and they really do want to re-sign Kuzma. Now whether Kuzma wants to come back or not, that's a different conversation. I don't know. Uh but but it does seem like holding on to to Kuzma. And this is a team that wants to make the play-in tournament. They 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 want the eight seed. They've always wanted the eight seed. So I think holding on to Kuzma, if I had to bet on which Wizards rotation player is least likely to be on the team after the deadline, I would actually put my money on Rui Hachimura over Kyle yeah, Kuzma. Yeah, and that's at this point shouldn't be an unpopular opinion. I mean, Josh Robinson and Shams come out with the report this week that basically they're part of the reason that Rui's on the trade block is because they want to create space, but the, you know, and money, right? Because Rui would have to get paid to you know, extend Kyle Kuzma in the offseason. And you guys see Josh Robbins talking to Rui Hachimura. Yeah. Um, what was that, like two days ago, a day ago? Right. Uh, and he's basically like, you know, saying without, he no commented like, did you request a trade? Which is, you know, no comment usually speaks volumes there. So, yeah, I mean, Rui Hachimura is an interesting piece, by the way. Didn't he? He had, in the, in the game that he had this post-game comment, he had 30 points off the bench. So yeah, he's actually it, an intriguing piece. Yeah, I mean, there's also the financial side of getting Rui Hachimura too, because you get restricted the entire rights. country of, well, you get the entire country of Japan behind you, and restricted so, rights. Yes, and restricted rights that too. But what's what you know what's interesting about the whole Rui Wizards thing is when when they drafted him, they were gobbling up sponsorships from Japanese companies. And there's no question they were relishing it. I don't know how much that had to do with the fact they drafted him at nine. I think it had something. I couldn't put a percentage on it. But they were relishing picking up the ownership specifically. Ted Leonsis was relishing picking up those all those sponsorships and everything. Last year, they they lost some sponsors with Hachimura. And all of a sudden, Hachimura starts coming off the bench. And now he is potentially going to get traded. They're at least making calls on him and taking calls on him. Uh, 
you know, I think part of the reason why Rui was such a mainstay with the Wizards for a while was because of that influence from ownership. And now I don't think that is as much of a driving force now with with not as many sponsorships being there. So I think with Rui, that that's another that's another thing to watch. He's a good I went, scorer. I went to Japan with them uh, in preseason. He's still popular there. You know, he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's still really popular there. But yeah, I don't know. how. You know, at some point that can't matter as you, you know, try to construct a roster. Sam. And Fred, your uh, your Blazers, you know, of the East parallel is just so on point. I'm looking at the standings here and I know we're, we're going to keep it on trade deadline season. But just in terms of their year, it's like, my goodness, you're, you're going to be, you know, 20, 20 and 26 and, and trying to go for it. You know, as far as the Kuzma factor goes, and and the idea of possibly keeping them, um, and and even the well, idea the reason that, they're the Blazers at the East, Sam, is because Bradley Beal is Damian Lillard, right? Just resigned right. for all that money, and yep. and and you want to build something around him. Kuzma is your is your Jeremy Grant. What the heck are the Blazers going to do with Jeremy Grant? Are they going to pay him this off season? Are they going to try to get something for him now? He's having an unbelievable season, by the way. Like you got you got a lot of. A lot of parallels in there. And by the way, Porzingis is upcoming too and has like a $32, $33 million player option this summer, which we're not sure what he's going to do with that. But that's that's a decision they'll have to make. And again, I think they lean towards wanting him back. He's having a a really, really good season. Uh, Yeah, and it just blows me away in terms of both those teams. Like if we talked about their ceilings, you know, and and I think we would all agree that the ceiling's not all that high. Um, they're probably underperforming a little bit right now, but the ceilings aren't that high, and you're still going for broke. Um, so, interesting times in Washington. All right, uh, who else are we thinking when it comes to uh, the old seller market here, gents? Um, you know the Pistons are interesting because it's like they profile right is like one of the most obvious sellers in the league. Twelve and thirty six, going nowhere. They're number two overall. You know, sometimes teams are like, oh, we want to keep like veterans around to help our you know star young star still build winning habits well their young stars out for the season um so bogdanovich seems like a very appealing trade candidate alec burks nerland's noel and i'm you know i'm sure maybe one or two uh, of their veterans will will get moved but i don't know i mean you you read or listen to what james edwards has to say or just kind of you know check the pulse of people around the league It, it feels like they're more reluctant sellers than they should be right they're still like I kind of want to keep Bogdanovich around in the long term, and you know, and part of this market and everything you hear is just the prices are so high. And part of the reason the prices are so high is the limited number of sellers. But part of it is because I just think teams more and more are just like ah, like we want to keep these veterans around and sign them instead instead of uh, actually moving them. So well, the I, Pistons stuff with oh, sorry, Sam, go ahead. No, real quick, and this is kind of like you know, Fred, you were kind of uh, wisely citing the Bertans comp to the Kuzma situation as we tried to read the minds of the Wizards executives. I would do the same when it comes to the Pistons and Troy Weaver and the way they uh, handled Jeremy Grant's situation before he got dealt to Portland was very similar. You know, they they had a a high price tag. They acted like they didn't want to move him, that Jeremy was a big part of what they were doing. I feel like Detroit is, is doing the same Right now with Bogdanovich, I think James has reported that that he likely could be had for an unprotected first. Now, you know, I mean, I, we'll see if they can get that. Um, but for context, I guess, um, and I have it here, you know, that Jeremy Grant trade, um, what they end up getting back? 46 pick in the draft. Um, 
and and three futures. Um, I mean, I just you know I think Troy very much I guess like Tommy Shepard is is the point is is going to keep it close until the very end, and and I'd be surprised if if they don't move Boyan. Well, I was you know what's funny, Sam. I was I was going to say the same exact same analysis as you, but have a totally different takeaway. Okay, because I was going to say. It does remind me of the Jeremy Grant situation, but it doesn't remind me of the Jeremy Grant situation this past summer. It reminds me of the Jeremy Grant situation from last trade deadline when people were saying, how could you not move Jeremy Grant? He's got a sure. year and a half of 20 mil a year left. The, he's he's playing well. He could help a lot of teams. He's helped Denver, yada, yada. And Detroit is not good, and it's not going to be good the next season either. How could they not trade Jeremy Grant? And Detroit kept having, I forget exactly what the price was that they wanted for Grant, but they had this really high price for Grant. And they were like, you know what? We have no rush. If we're not going to get the price, we're not going to move him. And they didn't move him last deadline. <clears throat> and I think there were some people who were surprised by how they operated with that. Bogdanovich just extended two years, $39 million. He's having a really good year. I mean, he's shooting like over 40 from three and, and over 50 on twos and averaging 20 some odd a game. He's having a really good year. And don't get me wrong, he can help a lot of good teams out there. But he's got two more years after this one. If Detroit didn't feel rushed to trade Jeremy Grant last trade deadline because they didn't get their asking price, I would not be surprised if they handled Bogdanovich the same way if they don't get their asking price on him and just said, whatever, we'll go into the summer and he'll have two years left and we still won't be rushed to trade him from there. Sometimes it's easier to make deals in the summer when every, you know, everyone's priorities are a little bit like loosened. You know, everyone's really remaking the roster um, more than just, you know, deadline. It's just everyone's going this or that way. I, it just seems harder to make deals now at the deadline than in the summer. At well, least, and like, I think I think yeah. this is a a very small factor, but you even have the human component. I think if I was a, a, an exec. You're sitting there, you know, looking at the roster in the summer and, and feeling more comfortable moving the pieces around as opposed to even the last couple of weeks I've noticed and, and you see this every year, you know, the actual GMs of teams are are traveling more consistently with their squads. And part of that is so that every city they go to, you know, they can have some FaceTime with the the executive from the other team. You know, last couple of days, Daryl Morey with the Sixers was in Sacramento. Before that, Rafael Stone from the Rockets was here. You know, I wrote about the Hawks situation where their new front office was was on the entire West Coast trip. Um, so it's more ability to connect with your staff in person and talk. Daryl Morey and Monty McNair were like really publicizing, or at least they Darryl literally Morey spent. Was, right? It was kind of. I mean, they're tight from the Houston days. Yeah. They spent. It's all right. Quick, funny story there, guys. Um, Friday, I think it's Friday. I was not going to the Kings Thunder game that night, but I did. Um, have lunch with a, a Thunder official during the day. And uh, as I had lunch near Golden One Center, ran into Daryl Morey and Monty McNair having lunch at the same restaurant. Now, if anybody doesn't know, those two guys worked together for a very long time in Houston and uh, and, and remain close. So go say hello. We're, we're talking. And, and Daryl made a, a joke about how something about, you know, Moneyball and how you know, look, this is there's clearly a trade happening at this table right now. And I thought he did make a joke about how maybe he would say it on Twitter. I didn't think he was serious. And then I look at Twitter, you know, a few minutes later after we we said our goodbyes and and sure enough, Monty and Daryl are going back and forth on Twitter. We're joking about how they were they were together and they've been seen together. So they ended up uh shoot, I think they sat together during the Thunder game. They sat together during uh the King Sixers game. 
And, uh, you know, and then again, they're close, so it doesn't necessarily mean we got a, a Sixers-Kings deal coming. But it is that time of year. You see it's not, you know, the assistant GM anymore on the road. It's the actual GM. And, and But to your original point, I think it is harder to do deals at the deadline. You're, you're For one, you're, you're looking these guys in the face and, and you're kind of feeling the vibe of your team. It's a little more intimate, if that makes sense. And, and you have less time to, to take a step back and process uh, the bigger picture analysis of what you're trying to do just because of the, the chaos of the season. And you know what else is interesting? Uh, that I, I think a lot of, I think this is a little bit of a more modern approach to GMing. Just because something doesn't get done at the deadline, it doesn't mean it's dead. Like there are 100%. a lot of yeah. trades that we see happen over the summer that there is a preamble that happened leading into the deadline and they just didn't get it done in time. Like I know the, the wizards like really discussed that KCP to Denver last trade deadline. That was a thing that was in legit discussions and they just didn't have time to get it done. And it, they just couldn't, they couldn't get to the finish line on it, but come the summer, they were like, Hey, we like that. And Denver was like, yeah, we liked that too. And they ended up being able to make that deal. So they're like, countless sorts of you know situations that that end up happening like that throughout throughout the season no question no i agree um let's keep it moving team wise uh let's see what do we think i threw it to you slater a moment ago but uh, let's dive into the old utah jazz guys because um you know we know the backstory here you know from contention to rebuilding via the donovan mitchell Rudy, uh, rudy gobert trades you know, comes down to what is Danny Ainge going to do? And I wrote about it earlier in the season. Uh, honestly, enjoyed the heck out of talking to executives around the league to get their opinions about what Danny was going to do, you know, because he is for sure one of the most interesting personnel men in the NBA, not only because, you know, you got the storied playing career, and then you have a, a pretty celebrated executive career in terms of what he did in Boston. Um, and And when he goes to Utah, you know, it didn't take long for everybody to to truly understand that that he had a ton of juice in that jazz organization. He is in lockstep with their semi new owner Ryan Smith, and and so it was uh, you know no question that he would have freedom out there working with Justin Zanuck in that front office and and trying to to get them on this new track. But then Lori Markinen becomes a revelation, and this has been out there for a while now. But I mean, essentially. You know, our, the baseline we can start with is that Laurie Markin and, and, you know, Walker Kessler are the two that, that he has zero interest in talking about moving. Everything else is fair game, which which there's a, a couple directions we could take this. But uh, to me, you know, Mike Conley becomes a pretty interesting guy right now in terms of this season and contention and the type of, you know, potential moves at the deadline that I could see making an impact when the playoffs come around. But uh, thoughts on the Jazz? I'm super interested on Malik Beasley too. I mean, you know, he's somebody who I think could help could help another team. He's a good shooter, uh, and he's got a team option for next year as well. So he's got a really flexible future moving forward. I wonder. I don't know, Sam. Have you heard anything on what they? I haven't really dug into the Malik Beasley market to be honest, or the Conley market. I mean, what do you think that it would take to get those guys? Conley's got a couple of years at like twenty two, twenty three million dollars. Like that's that's a lot for for Mike Conley at this point in his career. Beasley is, you know, if Beasley touches the ball, he's going to shoot, and he makes a pretty good amount of them. Which I don't know. There are teams 
there are a lot of teams that could use an extra shooter, and I think I think they could get something for him. Do you know anything about the markets for either of those two guys? I don't. I wish I did. Um, but you know, it, it kind of goes back to I guess a little bit of our Wizards analysis, where I, I think Danny's operating from a position of strength, and 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 I guess Pistons analysis too is, you know, I, I don't think he's uh, that thirsty to to do everything at the deadline. This season is what it is. They're obviously not, you know, they're not going the, the tanking for one banana road um, right now. And, and that ship has sailed as far as completely leaning into that approach, which means kind of like you guys talked about with you know, the way that these deals evolve. I could see this being something where a few different conversations that grow now end up being completed in the summer. Um, I think Danny's in a, in a position of strength to be sure. Mike Conley to the Clippers noise was interesting. You know, For Sean's sure. Put Timberwolves too. Yeah. And that yeah. the Timberwolves one I would assume would be D'Angelo Russell. But you know, does Minnesota have any more draft picks they can give to Utah? I mean, do those exist? Fair. 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 Um, fair. Well, and even honestly, D'Angelo's playing a lot better. I saw them uh in Denver this week. John Krasinski wrote about the fact that D'Angelo was playing better. Uh, he's been on a heater. Um, you know, since we do kind of like to share sights and sounds from the road a quick one on on d'angelo i actually watched a timberwolves this was a lot of fun they they had a shoot around the morning of the nuggets game and they had what they call uh the the sizzle league which is an acronym for stay in shape league just all their guys who don't get a lot of run were out there doing a scrimmage i think slater the warriors do a similar thing yeah I all the time yeah. Mostly, yeah. I think a lot of teams do for their. Yeah, I hadn't really seen it in this kind of organized fashion. You had officials, you know, not NBA officials, but people, you know, playing officials. Um, and the point of the story, though, is that D'Angelo, who's getting plenty of time, was playing in the sizzle game, and he was out there going back and forth with Bryn Forbes, and and it was like a good old fashioned run at the park and it was a lot of fun to watch and he ends up you know Bryn was giving it to him and giving him a lot of trash talk and and I mean literally barking like a pit you know a pit bull and having fun going back and forth and and then D'Angelo hits the game winner you know ends up ending the game with a three from the top even looked over at Anthony Edwards and was just like come on bro give me some love and and um, you got a sense of the fact that you know and I talked to some of their people like he is one of the many players who is trying to play well through an uncertain time. He's well aware that he might be on the move. Uh, it seems like he'd be just fine staying put and being part of this group, and he's almost trying to prove himself, you know, for on a day-to-day basis I mean, right now. He's – this is the, what, like the sixth time in his career he's gone through this? I mean, I covered right. him on the Warriors where there was a month-plus period. Really, ever since he signed the deal with the Warriors, it was like right. – it felt like he was on the trade block. and. Um, yeah, I mean, you're just like what you're describing just flashes my brain back, like whatever it was, two, three years now, um, to that exact lead up. And I mean, he's a very friendly guy and he's like, you know, generally well liked, but he's just perpetually in trade rumors and, um, you know, I guess could be on the move again. Well, and I, I in a vacuum, cause you mentioned the limitations Slater that the, the T Wolves obviously have in terms of draft assets for reasons uh, that are pretty obvious. The, Conley on the T Wolves idea. I mean, if if they are truly going for it, I mean that 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 to me lands really really well. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but you know they need more adults in the room. Um, you know, and that was part of my dialogue with Timberwolves people on this trip was learning about their locker room, and and it seems like it's gotten better the past couple of months. I had heard early on that I remember somebody kind of telling me that 
you know, with all due respect to Austin Rivers, you know, who I think is, is really a carved out a pretty nice career and B has, has become a guy who, who has seen everything in the league. Like Austin was the most vocal, effective leader in the Timberwolves locker room early on, which is, you know, and as far as the part that he's played in their building, that's problematic. But I think that part's gotten better. They're starting to play a little bit better. Um, but you know, if you got a Mike Conley in there who, who can still do his thing and, and then be the adult in the room on a different level, I think that could be good. And he's got some chemistry with Rudy Gobert already. Hundred percent. So, yeah. What do you know? Sit there and be a, a, a Yoda Clipper. character for yeah. I mean, teaching Anthony Edwards how to play with Rudy is a massive, massive, you know, factor for that team right now. And he's a beloved, like you talk about an adult. He's not just an adult in the room. Like yeah. he's a beloved teammate every single place that he goes. He's the leader of every single locker room he's ever been in. Can I ask you guys about a team? Indeed. Yeah. We're just making the rounds. You, Slater, yeah. before we do that, real quick, let's uh, let, let's throw it your way on the other side of this break. We're going to take a short break, and uh, Slater's got a, another squad coming your way. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a... Real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. 
Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, brother, what do you got? Yeah, so the Bulls are the 10th, uh, as we're talking, 21 and 24. Um, you know, I think they declared themselves last year as, as you know, Wizards-like in their, you know, approach to try to just squeak in the playoffs at all costs. They made the what turns out to be probably um, an unwise deal for, for Vucevic. They gave up Wendell Carter and a pick that – the pick that became Franz Wagner, I believe. Um, so – it you, you it's another, tough to another ima- pick coming up too yeah yeah so i mean that turns out to be a horrible deal um but it's it's tough to imagine them pivoting off that the way you know they committed the the max to levine they obviously threw big money at um to rosen they made the vucevic deal but at the same time look 21 and 24 i mean lonzo balls you know unsolved knee issue kind of throws his future in limbo it just doesn't feel like they're going anywhere anytime soon and if they're not they got a lot of like very like different salary pieces that could get different type of returns, but all are appealing. I mean, you you know the big ones, the Levines, the DeRozans, the Vucevic's, but even like Alex Caruso at his number, like that is a really appealing, you know, mid tier rotation player at a reasonable cost that I think a lot of teams would be very interested in. Obviously, you know, I cover the Warriors on, on a regular basis. I, I don't know how much they're going to dip into the market, but a name like Alex Crusoe, I think, would raise their eyebrow as it would raise, I think, a lot of teams around the league's eyebrow. But once again, we pivot back. Will they sell? I I don't. Th- I doubt the answer is yes. I think 30, well, 29, because the Bulls already have them. I think 29 teams would want Alex Crusoe. Yeah, that's the guy who you just plug into twenty to twenty five to twenty eight minutes, whatever you want in that. You got role. you got and Alex going back to the Lakers, like huh, Fred? They're gonna, they're going to say that tag. Yeah. I said you got Alex going back yeah, to the Lakers. Two, the two firsts for Alex Caruso, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's Slater. Because it's funny you say that because I was thinking about the Bulls in regards to the Knicks, and I was like, oh, he would be perfect for the Miles McBride minutes that they have right now. And you just have him and quickly and Quentin Grimes out there. And that is a ferocious trio of defensive guards with the three of those dudes. Uh, but Caruso really fits everywhere. The question is Caruso's like this. First of all, they have, they have their 2023 pick going to Orlando right now and it's top four protected. It really doesn't it's too late for them to like tank and and get all the way there, right? So they they unless they get, you know, super like, you know, super lucky and getting in the lottery and getting to the top four, chances are that pick is going to Orlando. I don't think a Caruso trade comes on its own. Like I don't think they just like trade Caruso for a first round pick, right? I really don't. I think I think the Caruso trade is the second domino, right? It means either they trade Vucevic or they trade DeRozan or they trade, you know, like they trade they trade one of those big names. And then Caruso also comes off as part of the we're breaking it down thing. But I'm with you. Like as of now, they're, they're one of those teams that, that I was thinking could go either way because there are a number of teams that could go either way. And right now, I just, I don't, they, they only put this team together a year and a half ago. Like they put this team together in the summer of 2021. That was when the DeRozan trade was. It, Remember, it's they were not. Like the, they were like, like the one or two seed for a large portion of yeah. The like really into like the middle of last season around the deadline, they were probably what like third in the East or something like that. Yeah, they were. They were first in the East when they had when they had Lonzo and and 
man, sucks what's happened with Lonzo. But when they had Lonzo and Caruso at the top of their defense, they defended completely differently. I thought there was a point, like a legitimate chunk into last year, like more than halfway into last year, uh, when I was like, man, Caruso and Lonzo should both be all defense this year. And 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 there was an argument for Caruso and Lonzo at that point to both be first team all defense because of the way those guys were propping up the defense. Then Caruso got hurt for a little bit. Lonzo got hurt for a lot. And all of a sudden the defense falls off completely. And this year it just hasn't been the same at all. But but Caruso and Lonzo were so important to them. They keep, you know, playing the, you know, if only Lonzo's there. If you get Lonzo back, then then you're in a better, you're in a better, a better place. But like it's been over a year and and he still doesn't seem like he's close. What what do you think? Let's say they do decide to move on, right? Let's say they say screw it, 21 and 24, 10 seed. Um, you know, the management there feels like they have the uh have the ability to just kind of tear it down and do their thing. What what do you think the DeRozan market is? What does DeMar DeRozan I, get? Because, by the way, DeMar DeRozan is having as good of a season this year as he did last. I feel like you could get, like, buyer's remorse in um, L.A., you know, with the Lakers and just try – you know, that might be one player that could pluck 27 and 29. And Because remember how close they appeared to be on DeRozan, you know, in retrospect that summer. Obviously, they pivot to the Westbrook deal. But, you know, maybe he is the type of player that, that would – would force them to, to come off those picks. And, you know, that might not be something that appeals to Chicago because it's a 2027-29. I mean, that's a long way away. But that's pretty good value, especially if you get them unprotected. Never say never because um, we always got to couch things in this business. But I was given the indication that, I mean, it's never, especially a trade, it's not up to the player, but we all know players have significant voice in these things. Um, and my understanding is that, Demar's interest level and and joining that group, you know, fell off when it, when it fell apart a couple summers ago. Um, so, who knows? But in terms of like where his head would be at, and in, in terms of joining that group, it doesn't sound like that's something he's hoping for. Gotcha. I there's not a player in the league I've done more more of a 180 on than Demar. I I I used to not like watching Demar, and I love watching Demar now. I have so much respect for how that guy has has evolved. Like there are so many guys who have decided to evolve in the league by just becoming trying to fit the cookie cutter model. Like, oh, I don't shoot threes. So is it I mean, is he evolved or is he chosen not I mean that's the funny part, Fred. Like when did you turn there? Because it's not like he's out there in San An- in San Antonio. Yeah. Like the last year and a half in San Antonio. Like what he did was he said there are a lot of guys who don't shoot threes and are ball handlers and don't fit necessarily like the cookie cutter analytics way of thinking of taking a lot of threes and being hyper, hyper, hyper efficient in the way that we think of hyper efficiency. And they and they acknowledge it and they try to change by looking like everybody else. And what Damar did was basically say, no, this is me. This is how I play. And I'm going to figure out how to be the best version of this guy. So in San Antonio, all of a sudden, he starts shooting like, like he always took a lot of mid-range, but he was like high 30s from mid-range when he was in when he was in Toronto. Now he's like high 40s. Now he can take those shots. Like he breaks the mat. Those are fine shots. When he's, when he's rising from mid-range, those are fine. Gets to the line more than ever. Better passer than ever better decision maker than ever. And, and by the way, the efficiency numbers are good now. 
Um, they're totally good. He's better around the rim. He's more skilled. He's smarter. Defense has fallen off, but just like the way that he plays, he's, he's made it work really well. And I, I don't know DeMar well enough to know if that's because of him, because of coaches around him, because of his experience in San Antonio, but it really started in San Antonio, not in Chicago. And, uh, you know, there was a streak where over the course of his career, his team was better with him on the floor only one time in his first like 12 years. And the Bulls are consistently better when he's out there now. Um, they're just, I, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for that guy. Guys, in the interest of uh, keeping the pod timely, we we have, it appears, some breaking news from uh, both our Sham Sharania and, and ESPN as well that Rui Hachimura, the aforementioned, appears headed to the Lakers. <clears throat> so I. Uh, it looks like the Lakers have finally made a move, finally done something to, to kind of push forward here a little bit. Instant thoughts. This is a, an interesting addition for sure. I don't see yet what is uh, is going back in that deal. But, uh, you know, Shams had yeah, a so Shams second round picks and Kendrick Nunn. Yeah, Shams. Yeah, Kendrick Nunn, a couple of second round picks. Got you. That, well, my first one is this: this could be the one to break the dam. Right. Maybe. Uh, that's that's I just mean the the trade the trade dam. We talk about how things have been kind of quiet now. Off the top of my head, instant reaction. I'm thinking I kind of like that for the Lakers. I, I like too. that the Lakers are I like that the Lakers are going out and getting every first of all. Here's my initial reaction. The Lakers and the Wizards for like five years now have been acquiring each other's former big men. Like there was a time when every Lakers big man was a former wizard. It was like Markeith Morris and and JaVale McGee and uh, every wizards big man was was a former Laker. Where it was like Thomas Bryant and Dwight Howard and and they've just been giving them back and forth. So now Thomas Bryant's back on the Lakers. They got Troy Brown there. They got Russ. They got Rui Hachimura. They're getting all the wizards. I I'm into this. Rui's going to give them some extra scoring. Uh, I wonder how he's going to be next to LeBron. Uh, a little note is that I'm not sure if any teammate who has ever been around Rui has gotten through to him from an intensity and work standpoint more than Russell Westbrook has. Uh, Russ was like his mentor. That one year when Russ was on the Wizards. I like that. Uh, I remember there was an anecdote that I was told about uh, when they were in practice early in the year. The thing with Rui has always been, and to this day is still, he shies away from physicality. It, it happens on defense, happens when he goes in the paint. He's got the body, he's got the athleticism, he's got the big hands. He he looks the part, but he often shies away from physicality. And Russ saw that and was like, that does not fly with me, obviously. And so there was a practice very early in Russ's only season with the Wizards where Russ was apparently all up in Rui, not in like a aggressive being a jerk way in an aggressive, like I am trying to get you to bust your ass kind of way. Uh, and, and Rui was going to the rim. It would happen after, I believe Rui went to the rim. They were scrimmaging and the ball just kind of, he just didn't go up strong. So Russ started screaming in his ear. I forget. Can I, can I say bad words on this you podcast? Can indeed. 
So yes, Russ, sir. Russ, I'm going to say a bad word. So, so mute it if you got kids in the car. But I, I, Russ was screaming in his ear, "You're a bad motherfucker! You're a bad motherfucker!" over and over again, and getting into him. And Rue, it was getting on Rui's nerves. And Russ was just screaming at him, running up to him, "You're a bad motherfucker! You're a bad motherfucker!" And after a few times, like a few possessions later, Rui goes up and then he dunked on somebody, and apparently had this magnificent dunk throwing it down on somebody. After he did it, the first guy to jump on him. Russ sprinted across the court and jumped on his back and started cheering. Uh, there were times where there were interactions sort of like that in games. Uh, I think the most physical defense I've seen him play is with Russ there. There's something with Russ that gets into Rui. So that's that's a thing that I'm thinking, but I like it for the Lakers. It gives him a little extra scoring. Um you know, a little extra switchability. He's a better on ball defender than, than off ball defender. Lakers are small. You know, he's bigger. Now he doesn't play bigger. My question is uh, Sam, I'd flip it to you this way. Is this the middle ground trade? Like, hey, LeBron, we're not trading those picks, but here's a little help. <clears throat> or is this a signal of like the beginning of a more all in approach? I would probably go for the former. I, I still don't see them trading. You know, listen. At this point in the the season, and who knows if if you know this perspective doesn't stand up over time. But if I asked you the question, like, what target are we talking about for the Lakers for that kind of a price? You know, what name comes to mind for you? There's not. You know, this is there's no Anthony Davis situation where where the whole world knew who they were chasing. There's you know, okay, we've talked Demar a little bit on this pod today. You know, you you hear a little Zach Levine. You have a clutch sports connection there, sure. But like, there's not an evolving situation with a player worthy. Bogdanovich of, for one of those two picks. I mean, he'd give them shooting, which they desperately need. Yeah, I mean, unless the perspective has changed, I, I think there I think there is this uncomfortable truth within their organization that they would prefer to see what they can get with you know the monster offer in the summer when they get access to the third pick and you know and you can and you and russ's deal obviously comes off the books you got the space um and you can really go for broke so i i you know i could be wrong but i don't see this as just the beginning for the lakers and, it feels and really like to, the middle ground trade that they were middle kind ground, of hinting yeah i mean if you do. take it back to not to you know hit the rewind button here but my interview with lebron that, that he obviously had pushed back on is like it really, I'll be honest, it, it was like we 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 got into this uncomfortable space where we we said the quiet part out loud about what's happening there. And and when I said to him that, you know, it seemed pretty clear that the organization didn't want to move both picks and wanted to keep them until the summer, you know, his answer was, well, you guys know. If you guys know, you know. I don't need to talk. Um, and that, I think, is, is probably still where they are. Uh, within all that, Fred, I'll throw it to you because I was curious. Can I, can I add one more thing? Yeah, yeah. The Wizards drafted Rui Hachimura number nine four years ago and played yeah. him up as this guy is going to be a centerpiece of our future. And they've made some very good trades. I mean, Tommy Shepard has made some very good good trades. I think their their mistakes have kind of been on the free agent market and 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 in the draft. Uh, but so I, I I think they have good trade routes and all of that. But that is that is not a lot of return. For no. a guy who, until very recently, yeah, you were billing up as and like, this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be part of your future. And Kendrick Nunn is like, he's not. He's, That's he's, salary he's filler. That's just matching was. salary. Totally. That's all that is. Totally. Um, I mean, they did it for three second round picks. I mean, that is that is a very, 
very, I mean, we'll see what the second round picks are, but honestly, it does, it's not really going to change much on how I think about the trade. I'm not saying that they should be getting more, by the way. It's just like, yeah, man, this was a guy you were building up as a huge part of your future, and he's gone for three second round that's, picks. That's look, tough. that's that's life in the league. I mean, it's it's a little bit like, you think that's bad? Look what the Warriors are dealing with, you know, with James Wiseman heading towards the deadline, you know, former second overall pick. Um, and what could he get? right now um you know and, Fred, and there a lot of teams have these type of cases i mean even what you think that's bad how would the johnny davis pick what could what could johnny davis get for the if the wizards and they just picked him james, like, james book knight yeah good example <laughs> um that's my that's no i was gonna say you could get james book knight that's my oh, dream okay. trade that's <laughs> my that's my dream trade i call it i call it i call it young guy mozgov for biombo I think it works perfectly. I think you just go, hey, we drafted this guy in the lottery and he is not working. And you drafted that guy in the lottery and he is not working. Just flip him. That's and what they I want. Their new homes and probably not work. Considering the Maybe, Lakers. But you're trying something. Sorry, I keep jumping in. Considering the Lakers uh, shooting woes and well chronicled issues on that front, what, and since you also. Claimed earlier that you are actually a Knicks and Wizards beat writer, even still. Um, why Rui's three point shooting is down eleven percent this year. Now, granted, last year it was a smaller sample size, but forty two games is, is not bad. He shot almost forty five percent from long range and, and not on high volume at all. You're talking about three, basically three a game, but um, down at thirty three seven this year. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I think I think last year was just an outlier. I think if you ask people around the team, even they didn't expect him to come in and all of a sudden be a 40 something percent shooter. There was, there was a lot of skepticism on that 45% number. You know, he missed the first half of last season for, for personal reasons. Uh, he was dealing with a lot of stuff and then he, he comes back and he was shooting really well, but it was in limited playing time. It wasn't on a ton of attempts. I think it was on like two and a half attempts or something like that. And I think there was a lot of skepticism on where, the number would end up this year. Uh, you know, the thing with him is he just needs to shoot well enough for people to guard him on the three point line. I, I, the concern that I've always had with his shooting has been that his mid range form is different from his three point form. Uh, and that's, that's a, that's a concern. You want guys who have consistent form. Normally that's a sign that he's never going to quite get consistency there, but you just want guys who, who, who are going to be good enough for for at least defenders to have to guard, especially if he's going to play next to LeBron and AD so that teams can't just help off of him when those guys are in the paint. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how they use him. The other big thing with him is that like everyone talks about his shooting is the thing that has to come. To me, it was always... It was always a more abstract thing that had to come with him. It was quick decision making. Uh, you know, he'll he'll get the ball and he'll still like veer around, like, okay, what do I do? Do I pass? Do I dribble? Do I shoot? And when you're thinking that way, it's it's just already too late. Uh, he'll dribble into too many mid-range jumpers. He's not really a ball mover. So I I think I think that's the thing that you want to come. But maybe when he's playing, if he's playing next to LeBron or something like that, maybe the role is simplified. Maybe it's just like stand out there, Rui. And if you catch the ball shoot the ball. Don't worry about the rest. He's okay from the corners. Like, don't worry about the rest. And maybe the role is simplified. Like we've seen Thomas Bryant, who I've always thought has a ton of offensive talent, really thrive. He had 31 or 33 or whatever it was during that comeback against Portland on Sunday. Um, 
you know, we've seen him really thrive in just a sort of role where it's like, this is going to be simplified and he's been really good at it. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe simplifying that role uh, uh, next to some great players will, will actually be a good thing for him as opposed to putting him in a role where it's like, go get a bucket now. Agreed. All right, gentlemen, I think uh, I'm going to let us get out on that unless you have any scorching hot takes on the trade deadline season front before we go. No takes. Going once, going twice. Fred? I have a lot I have a lot of takes, but we got two more podcasts before the trade deadline. We so do indeed. No, that was good stuff. And and little did we know it would become a uh you know a a, a recent events Rui Hachimura trade to the Lakers pod at the end there and, and good stuff from you, Fred. Uh we'll make sure those F bombs make it through. <laughs> but I appreciate you guys and we will be back next week. Thank you. <laughs>